see, this is my life. It always will be. There's nothing else. Just us. And the cameras. And those wonderful people out there in the dark. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Welcome back, everyone, to a new episode of Ready for Close-Up. It's June 2022. Summer has just started and we have been recording for two years. And I'm here again, as usual, with Andy. Hi, Andy. Hi, Sam. So excited to record this two-year anniversary episode with you. Yeah, crazy. Isn't it? I mean, we started <laughs> way down at the end of our first lockdown, I think was kind of a lockdown project and I'm really happy that we're still doing this. Absolutely, yes. And I hope you also still enjoy listening to us. (laughs) Whoever stayed with us, whoever joined us over the course of the last (laughs) few months or the last couple of years, it's been fun for us. So hopefully it's been fun for someone out there too. And we thought this summer we would do a summer watch roundup, kind of look back at what we've been watching recently, what we plan on watching this summer, and also at the end, what we look forward to in the fall. This can be things in the cinema, things on streaming platforms, everywhere there is fresh content that we are interested in. And so I'm going to start right away with you, Andy. What have you been watching and what have you been liking? Well, what have I been watching? I think I've been in the cinema fairly uh, frequently and I I think I'm quite on the blockbuster train at the moment. <laughs> I went to see Jurassic Park number, I don't know what, is it Jurassic World Dominion, I think is the official title. That's what they're called these days, yeah. They, but it, I yeah that's what i've seen and it's basically it's a strange one because i think it's i think it's the third one of this new trilogy they started a few years back with chris pratt and bryce dallas howard in this one they bring back the stars from the old jurassic park movies like laura dern and jeff goldblum and sam neill I think it's if if you've seen one, you've seen them all, right? It's always a bit the same premise. It's always a bit the same suspense level. And I think in this one, they do a lot of fan service also with references to all the movies and things. Is it a good movie? No. Is it entertaining? Yes. (laughs) So I would say that's that, but... Yeah, it's it's exactly what you want from a from a summer movie, a bit of mindless entertainment. You don't have to think too hard about anything. The only thing I would say is that Laura Dern is really, really bad in this one. Yeah, you wonder why she got an Oscar for anything ever. But <laughs> but it's um yeah, I think if you if you're in the mindset of accepting that this is some trashy, campy fun. If you're into dinosaurs, if you're into Laura Dern overacting, then that's the one for you. Well, I'm amazed that they're still doing them, you know, that they had such uh, success with Jurassic World, which was kind of taking Jurassic Park to yet another dimension of flying and diving and the bigger and the faster dinosaurs. And now they seem to throw everything but the kitchen sink in there, including all the other characters. Exactly. I think they... A hologram of uh, Richard Attenborough is the only thing missing, probably. So uh, I can see that. And I think since I saw Laura Dern crash that starship in Star Wars Episode Eight, I know that she can single-handedly crash a movie. <laughs> she was so bad <laughs> no, in that no. one as well. So now yeah. we're super harsh on Laura Dern, but I think she's also... We all love her, but yeah. I think she can be really bad, though, too. You know, the David so... Lynch days. Yes, she was fantastic. And there there were a couple of other late roles where she was really good but i guess blockbusters yeah 
So any anything else in terms of blockbuster stuff you've been watching? Yeah, I've also then stepped into the other huge franchise, which is the MCU, so the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I caught up on a few movies. I watched Thor Ragnarok, which is actually a five-year-old movie, but I've never really seen it. And I don't know why, because it's amazing. Hmm. I think it's, yeah, it's, it's, I was surprised. I think it's really a good comic movie. It's really, I think, the New Zealand director Taika Waititi, who helmed this movie, he really brought a lot of fun in it, a lot of dry humor, a lot of a very own spin on this, I think, maybe a bit worn out superhero movie franchise. And it feels very fresh. It has a nice 80s vibe to it. I think there's a lot of fun and humor in it. And it's also, I think if you look at it from a perspective that it's a comic book movie, it does so many things right. I think the villain is amazing, played by Kate Blanchett. So it's also interesting because the Marvel movies, usually they always fail on having a good convincing villain. And I think this one does a really great job with Kate Blanchett's Hela. Yeah, Chris Hemsworth is great. Tessa Thompson is a great addition. There's also Jeff Goldblum. So here we go, so the Jurassic Park link. <laughs> He's everywhere. Yeah, no, I think it's a great fun movie. So, and it's also nice that it's somehow a bit, you don't have to have seen 20 other Marvel movies to understand this one. I think it's, of course, you, maybe it helps if you've seen the Thor movies, but other than that, it's a, somehow a self-contained adventure. Well, thank God, because I'm thinking if I had to catch up with all the Marvel movies I missed, I'd be watching mm. stuff for years. So I'm, I'm glad just like with Black Panther that I could just like watch one and it seemed yeah. kind of like self-contained that I didn't have to feel like I have to watch all the, the prequels and sequels. But I guess you've also been watching Thor kind of in preparation exactly. for one of the movies that will come out later this year. So I guess that's also a good incentive to watch something to catch up or to prepare for, which, which I've been doing uh, mostly, you know, contrary to you, I have not been to the cinema so often uh, lately, but I tried to catch up, for instance, with the Star Wars franchise, watching it with my 10-year-old niece, mm, which was a mm -hmm. lot of fun for her, seeing it for the first time, and me seeing how a child reacts to seeing Star mm -hmm. Wars for the first time. And she was a big fan of all the different eras of Star Wars. She had her favorites in like the, the prequels, but also in the originals and also with the last one, the Rise of Skywalker. So that was fun. And I'm of course also preparing myself to then watch the Obi-Wan Kenobi miniseries that Disney Plus is releasing at the moment. I think the last couple of episodes are coming out soon. And I want to then watch it kind of all in one go, possibly with, with my niece as well. Have, have you seen any of it yet? I mean, I've seen the Star Wars movies, of course, but I haven't seen any of the series. I think there's also The Mandalorian and I think there's a Boba Fett series yes. now and Obi-Wan. and Exactly. Yeah, there's quite a lot. I think similar to, to the Marvel movies, Disney is also churning out these series a lot. So I think for me, it makes it a bit increasingly difficult to catch up on all those. Yeah, and I... I I found also their Star Wars stories that they put out as movies. For instance, Rogue One, which was decent, or, or Solo, which I didn't like at all. I have to say, going back to the Star Wars movies, it, 
it's literally they're still sucking off the energy mm, of that original mm-hmm. trilogy so much i mean everything that's good about star wars goes back to the original trilogy so even with obi-wan i look forward to kind of seeing how they try to lead this over into the original star wars trilogy so that's what excites me everything that's new is kind of so so i also tried um, my hand at a few movies that are set in san francisco mm-hmm. because i'm going to travel there in a couple of weeks i also watched a couple of uh, movies that i hadn't seen and one stuck out that i knew about but i'd never watched which is a kind of a time traveling movie from the late 70s called time after time and it's a pastiche of the hg wells time machine and jack the ripper so basically it starts in london and then hg wells has developed this time machine like in his novel and then unfortunately one of his colleagues is jack the ripper and he escapes with the time machine to present-day san francisco so hg wells has to kind of travel after him and to, to chase him down he meets mary steenbergen typical san francisco lady of the time looking for a date, looking for a boyfriend. And she's totally into this British guy played by Malcolm McDowell. They explore San Francisco hunting down this Jack the Ripper uh, character. And the great thing is that just like Vertigo, it's really a San Francisco movie. The, the, the whole point, I think, of the plot is to display as many famous locations. And it's it's like a travelogue of, of the city. And of course, I, I really, really enjoyed that. There was kind of an old style Miklos Rocha soundtrack. You know, the guy who did Ben-Hur and Kova back in the 50s a great watch and i thought why haven't i seen this movie before it's it's uh it's great to be honest i have never ever heard of this movie it's it sounds very interesting it sounds fun yeah so maybe i don't know if it was a big success at the time i w- could imagine that it wasn't but uh it's it's a gem because it really it's a kind of a love letter to the city and it's it's a fun knock it in time also of you know this idea of the late 19th century guy coming to late 70s post-hippie post-gay revolution san francisco and there's a couple of funny jokes also concerning the present days so those were a couple of things i watched how about streaming have you been watching any series lately any fresh content on netflix or i've been watching the gilded age which is a historical period drama series which takes place in the new york of the late 19th century it has a, a great cast, Christine Baranski and Cynthia Nixon and Carrie Coon. I mean, it's also from the same creator of Downton Abbey. So it also has this upstairs, downstairs mm. type of storytelling. So you see the servants and the maids and the cooks and the butlers. And at the same time, you see the, the rich families being served and their problems. It was super well done. Great actors, great production design. The costumes are amazing and the stories are also interesting. I think there's also a nice character which is a person of color so this brings a new side to I think these historic pieces which also shows how people of color were living there in these times I think that's something that's traditionally a bit omitted in these historic series or movies yeah I think it's a great period drama I'll definitely want to watch it I recently found out I have still a subscription to Sky Show so I should be watching The Gilded Age and also The Great which is something that I mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. missed out on and I just watched uh, trailers and scenes from it and I felt why haven't I seen this yet? Because this looks fabulous. The Great is amazing. It's really, for those who don't know it, it lives up to its name. It's about the Catherine the Great in Russia and she comes to the court of Tsar Peter and she gets married there and then she's slowly trying to change the, the manners and the, the ways at court and she wants to rule and then there's like a little plot around it. And the funny thing about this series is it's not really historically accurate. It just takes 
a little bit of inspiration on the historic dates, but the rest is completely made up. And that's also the great fun of this series, that it's really mm -hmm. the, always with a wink in the eye that everything is, is quite uh, tongue-in-cheek and it's fun. I've been watching more content on Netflix recently. By a recommendation, I watched uh, Heartstopper, which is a series that is based on a graphic novel and does a fantastic job at adapting the graphic novel aspect. You know, style-wise, there are some elements, some visual elements that they put in and it also feels very much like straight from the, the page from the from the comic strip and it's basically a high school story so it starts off a little bit like sex education but contrary to sex education there is no level of irony in it and it, it's then this gay love story told around a group of, of young characters at a high school it starts off very you know cliche arriving starting at the school some problems with bullying some you know the, the guy on the sports team that, uh, that one of the openly gay guys is is having a crush on and that's the basic setup so very mm -hmm. you know what we've mm -hmm. been seeing in, in in movies and series a lot but then the way it tackles this is so beautiful I, I i thought to myself at the end of it this is one of the most positive series i've ever seen even though i loved sex education but just the level of uh, like honest storytelling and like um displaying this teenage emotion in such a in such a beautiful way, I, I think I, I was stunned that everyone who's seen it has told me the same thing. They were binge watching it. They couldn't mm -hmm. stop it. They, they were so happy to have seen it because it, it portrays such a positive uh, look out on young people, society, what, what things could be like without being too idealistic, being very, very aware of representing everyone as well in the series, but not doing it in a in your face kind of way, which sometimes you feel with a Netflix series that they're kind of doing it by the numbers these days. This one feels very genuine and very honest and very down to earth. So definitely big recommendation for anyone who hasn't seen Heartstopper yet. I have one recommendation I really, really want to say. I really, really want to get off my chest. Right, right. You have seen more. I've seen more. I've been to the cinema, baby. I've seen it all. Everything, everywhere, all at once. It's an amazing, amazing movie. It has garnered a bit of a, of a hype and a fan base. It's a small independent movie. Word to mouth publicity. It garnered, I think, close to $100 million in the US which is quite unheard of for such a small production. I can also see why, because the movie stars Michelle Yeoh and she plays this Chinese immigrant mother in the US and she has a laundromat shop and she has a husband and a daughter and she's struggling also with the gayness of her daughter and she struggles with work, with life, she has taxes to do and the, the, the beginning of the movie it, it feels like okay this is going to be some sort of family drama and it's a bit a, a tough thing. But then, I don't want to spoil too much, but it's an insane adventure begins for her where she realizes she can jump between different universes and there are different versions of herself in different universes and they have different talents and then this helps her fight her own demons in, in her world. It's a wild ride of a movie. I mean, there's so many crazy ideas, so many fun moments. It's really a movie that takes all of its potential it's a sci-fi movie, it's a family drama, it's a comedy, it's a love story, it's a mother-daughter relationship. It's really, really amazing and I think I haven't seen such a good movie in a long while in the cinemas or elsewhere, so highly, highly recommend it. It's really everything, everywhere, all at once. It's really, the, the it's all in the title, it's great. The movie lives up to its title. No, I definitely want to see that. I read a little bit about the hype and I thought, ah, oh, Michelle Yeoh, I love her in, in so many different things. 
So I will, I will definitely put that on my list. I also forgot about mentioning Ennio, the documentary by Giuseppe Tornatore on mm -hmm. Italian film composer Ennio Morricone, which is also a big recommendation. A great, great documentary made by someone who normally does not make documentary films, and that's what makes it so great. So basically, he interviewed Morricone and all kinds of collaborators. Of course, there's the snippets of the movies, the scenes, the, the famous scores Morricone composed. But the way this is assembled mm -hmm. is, is what makes it so great. Donatore really cuts it and, and paces it based on the music, on the style of film, shows Morricone working, you know, in his office, conducting, practicing, doing push-ups, and then going into the concert, uh, conducting the big orchestra and the choirs, and really taking you through that journey of, of Morricone's life and music in such a beautiful and perfectly edited way with crescendos, mm -hmm. you know, based on the music, mixing together so much old uh, source material from different in choosing concerts and taking you from his childhood and then up until the, the, the very end. I, it's a stunning uh, recap of Morricone's career and with so many great scenes and, and movie excerpts that I hadn't seen, but of course also with the biggies. Uh, so you, you get to kind of a, like a, the whole package of what makes Morricone. It's two and a half hours long. So it's really an, an epic homage and uh, appreciation and celebration of Morricone's work. Very nice. I mean, we also did an episode on Morricone, right? And you can also go back and listen to that one our little homage to Morricone as well and it was at the beginning of, of a journey for me you know when we did that episode after he had passed I, I started to really go into Morricone because I, I I knew him quite a bit but since then I've been you know buying collections and records and reading books and watching this documentary so I feel this was only the, the starting point so it, it's also a very good starting point for anyone who hasn't gone into his work nice but yeah coming back to the question of what is there to watch this summer what, what else is there on your list you you mentioned it earlier before, I think soon we will have the release of Thor Love and Thunder. This is one I'm looking forward to. I think it's again directed by Taika Waititi and I have all the confidence that it's going to be again a fun summer romp of a, of a comic action movie. There's also Natalie Portman coming back playing the ex-girlfriend of Thor. And there's also Russell Crowe appearing. So I, I think I'm, I'm sure it's going to be a lot of fun. I put my summer blockbuster eggs in that basket. <laughs> So besides Obi-Wan Kenobi, which I'm curious about, as it has some of the main characters of the original Star Wars trilogy, most notably uh, Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen in, in main roles, I will see Elvis mm. on Sunday, the new Baz Luhrmann biopic about Elvis Presley, starring Austin Butler, an actor that has been talked about a lot, of course, in terms of uh, the two years he apparently spent getting into this role and really becoming Elvis. And now, of course, the reviews are in from the Presley family, from the fans. It seems to be very good based on the reviews that I've read. Some say that maybe Butler doesn't get as much space as he would need to really develop the role, but everyone thinks he does a great job at it. And I really look forward to seeing a new lure haven't seen much of his newer things but of course have been an ardent fan of his uh, 90s 2000 stuff it was always a, a different visual take on everything it was always very musical very visually stunning overwhelming sometimes in terms of the editing and compiling everything so I, I look forward to how he tackles the Elvis universe that's something I definitely will see and uh, really look forward to I have started watching new seasons of uh, Love and Anarchy the Swedish surprise hit kind of about an, an 
life at an office of an, a married woman who falls in love with a very young co-worker. And it was very quirky, very fun, very endearing to watch the first season. And I've started it and it's it's good. The, the basic thing that is so makes it so fun is that they start this this game together at the office where they challenge each other, saying, you know, if if you come to the office without pants on, I will do this ah, in, right. in return. So they have these really risky challenges where they tease each other. And uh, it starts off as that. And of course, then it turns into more of a romantic thing. But of course, that's still unstable. So it's tackled in such a quirky way. And of course, I also went into blockbuster Netflix with Stranger Things 4 after not really liking uh, seasons two and three at all. <laughs> I'm curious to see. <laughs> also, having heard about the hype surrounding uh, Kate Bush's running up that hill, which peak number one in, U in the UK charts because of Stranger Things 4. Everywhere. Everywhere. My students yesterday even were singing it and I was like, you're actually singing Kate Bush's 1985 hit. I, I grew up with that one. So I'm just curious to, even if, if it's bad in terms of the, the plot, even if it's overblown as the last two were, but I, I do enjoy these 80s references. The music is great and the visual cues. Yeah, everything 80s about it is, is still fun to watch. Stranger Things is definitely on my list as well. My ever-growing list, <laughs> I have to say. As it is. Um, I saw a trailer for a new series from the creators of Dark, which was a, a very amazing Netflix series, German production which I think was really spectacular in terms of storytelling. Complicated at times, so I think it was one of those series you really had to watch, you really had to be present to understand who is who and what happens where. And they are making a new series and it's called 1899. And it plays on a, on a steamship that goes from Europe to the US. It, it plays, I guess, in the time 1899 and it's sort of uh, European immigrants leaving for the new continent. The trailer promises some sort of mystery, horror, thriller. I think this one is coming out fall, winter this year. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. I can imagine that sounds amazing. And I think I saw bits and pieces of like a teaser trailer and I thought this looked really intriguing. So yeah, I might add it to my list as well. But as you say, this list never stops growing <laughs> and it will probably also grow further once fall comes around. Our last point to discuss, if you look a little bit forward to the next few months up until the end of the year. What are the biggies for you in terms of movies to look forward to? One I'm looking forward to is My Policeman. It stars Emma Corrin from The Crown and Harry Styles. Basically a love triangle between two men and a woman. A man who's married to a woman, but he's also caught up in a love affair with another man. And I think the book is told out of the perspective of the woman and the lover, how they see their object of affection. And I'm really curious to see see how that movie will be. I think it's going to be a great British period heartbreak movie in the vein of Tonement. And there's also another Harry Styles movie I'm actually looking forward to. <laughs> oh, um, a fanboy. A fanboy here. Now it's out with Florence Pugh and directed by Olivia Wilde. And it also stars Chema Chan. This one, I guess it's more of a, of a sci-fi dystopia thriller where a young woman lives in this seemingly perfect perfect 50s world and everything is perfect in her community and she has the perfect husband and all this but then suddenly she starts realizing that things are not as what they seem to be 
and there is some plot behind all this and she's part of an experiment and a cult. So the trailer looks amazing and I'm really curious how this one will be. By coincidence, there is also Harry Styles in it. Pure coincidence. <laughs> Pure coincidence. It's just, uh, he's just there. He's just, he just knows how to pick good movies. That's yes, it. Yes, yes. What about you? What are your movies or series or things you're looking forward to this fall? I mean, very broad stroke mainstream movies. Also super excited about seeing the new Jordan Peele film no which mm -hmm. comes out in the fall after seeing his amazing movies get out and us so the the main actor from get out actually daniel kaluuya who was also the oscar winner for judas and the black messiah a couple of years ago he's leading that cast i don't know very much about it yet but apparently it's also again about some uncanny appearances of uh, in a community in in california and the material so far looks great and i'm of course very looking forward to his uh, very unusual take on horror film deep and complex multi-layered film mm -hmm. so far taking the horror genre to a whole new level, I thought. So I'm really excited about that one. I'm also kind of excited about seeing the, the finale to the fresh Halloween trilogy uh, <laughs> that came out over the past couple of years. So Halloween Ends comes out this Halloween. <laughs> Halloween Ends for now. For but now, But maybe yeah. it will come back. And Jamie Lee Curtis certainly will be back um, again and again and again. There was a good level of freshness to it, I thought, in the, the first two installments. Of course, it's great to see Jamie Lee Curtis back back at it to have really good references to the original ones, kind of skipping over all the bad ones from the 80s and 90s. Um, they're kind of forgotten. It's a ritual. It's like all these franchises coming out. There's a certain element of recognition of those scenes, things that you expect, a certain thrill, a certain arch that you expect to happen in such a movie. Not a great one, but a terribly entertaining one. And finally, I think I'm also curious about what the new Avatar movie oh. or movies will be like. Mm -hmm. um, it's been a long time since 2009 and I was expecting them way before but James Cameron as usual has taken his time. I'm, I'm kind of curious because I didn't care for Avatar so much when I first saw it and then I started appreciating it when I saw it the second or third time again and I thought yeah I mean it's a it, it, it took cinema to a new level and I feel it has never gone anywhere from there. I felt that it was kind of like a first look into what movies could be like in that style and it was super successful but I feel there was nothing next and I kind of look forward if a sequel can kind of deliver that and expand maybe on the visual glory that it was but I'm a little bit skeptical I, I feel maybe that story just can't go anywhere else it was a pretty basic simplistic story which worked out fine in one movie but what are they gonna do now with it yeah especially that they I think they planned four or five movies no After yeah that. I think so, so I think it's really a huge movie series planned for this <laughs> but I, I, I'm with you there that I think the story was told in one movie uh, somehow yeah. <laughs> and I think yeah now in hindsight I get it, it was really the technical spectacle that was really convincing at the time you had the, all these 3D experience in the cinema so I think this was definitely something that was unique and, and as you said he really showed all the options what, what you could do with filmmaking but I think also somehow the 3D hype has slowed down tremendously again, again. No, third time in movie history the 3D craze has slowed down <laughs> who knew <laughs> who could have told <laughs> who could have thought <laughs> so yeah I think this is somehow yeah, I guess it was the pinnacle of this 3D craze back in the days. And now it's, yeah, let's see what, what it brings to the table. I think, um, mm -hmm. 
I'm curious, but let's see. I think what's, what's great about if we look back at our roundup of things that we have seen and will want to see is also that the blockbuster seems to be back. Remember when about a year ago we talked about the fact that besides Bond and Dune, there weren't really so many blockbusters and now there seems to be an increase. Franchises, the Marvel Universe, Star Wars, so many things that are continuing now or coming out, including Avatar. I'm also thinking of Top Gun Maverick that's finally mm-hmm. come out a couple of weeks ago. I'm thinking of Mission Impossible Part 6, where the trailer is out, which will come out in a year's time. I think finally we're catching up also with the COVID-related delays of all these productions. And there is a large selection again of content for us in the upcoming months. And that, that I find exciting per se. It doesn't really matter whether they're so great or whether they're really worthwhile sequels of these franchises and installments. But yeah, it, there's just much more to watch. Yeah, and I think on that one, it's also great to see that movies like Everything Everywhere All at Once can become hits. You know, that right. like small independent movies, suddenly they, they make millions of dollars and they, be, they become a success through word of mouth and through and then people go back to, to the cinemas to see a movie like that. But I think that's also nice to see that not only franchises survive, but also smaller movies can, can make a statement. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's uh, the end result of of uh, the, the last couple of years that we've been covering in our podcasts that started with this gap. And, and now in the meantime, I think we saw that other movies also through streaming had a, a better chance of, of reaching an audience. And now it seems to be that that mix again of the blockbusters back at the cinema, of lots of Netflix content that is uh, continuing, but also of movies that have a chance because people have maybe adapted their viewing habits over the past two years. So, I mean, the ideal in the ideal world, all these aspects would now have their their audiences sometimes shared audiences and sometimes more i guess pockets of audiences so mm-hmm. yeah i think that would be great also for us you know there's a lot that we've been talking about today and a lot that we're going to see and we'll be able to talk about in, in future episodes once summer 22 is over absolutely so we're going on a little summer break but i'm sure we will be back for more movie geeking and movie discussions of present past and future and thank you very much for listening thank you very much sam well thank you fun as always and see you next time when we are again ready for close-up